Thank you all so much for leading us in worship. Good morning, everybody. We are glad you're here, especially if you are a guest with us today. We're uh, especially glad that you're visiting with us. And those of you who are um, with us online, we're uh, very grateful for, for that as well. So everybody have a good Fourth of July celebration. Was that good for everybody? It was a long weekend. It was good, wasn't it? Did y'all eat good? Not too much, right? It's all good. It's been hot, but thankful for, for, for air condition. How many of y'all have heard of the term jailhouse religion? You ever heard that term? Now, a lot of some of you older folks, maybe some of you kids may be going, what, what is that? Well, it's been described as this, the sudden desperate piety of an inmate who's up against it and hopes that God will somehow bail him or her out. So basically, someone winds up in jail or in big trouble, and uh, they find religion, they have a conversion experience, they come to Jesus through that time in jail, and many times the jailhouse religion, religion phrase is kind of sarcastically um, talked about as if doubting the sincerity of this person because are you really converted or are you just wanting to get out of trouble to make it sound better? And there's a thought that this person is just claiming that they're changed and have found God and uh, to maybe, like I said, get out of trouble or get out of trouble faster or maybe they're getting out of jail and somebody needs to hopefully will let them come home or give them another chance. But what we do know about jailhouse religion is, is that there have been throughout history sincere and authentic conversions that have taken place in prison that have literally changed people's lives through the authentic and powerful transformation of the Holy Spirit through that. And there are many who are called specifically, specifically to that ministry of ministering to people who are in prison and saying those people need to hear the message of Christ and they are a part of that and amazing things and stories have come out of that. And some of you uh, today may have even been involved or involved in those ministries right now. A lot of y'all may have heard of Prison Fellowship who was started by a guy named Chuck Colson. Um, many of y'all may remember him. I remember being about, I don't know, eight or ten years old, and my parents and grandparents were glued to the TV about Watergate back in the, the 70s. And, like, and I was like, I was a kid, like, what is Watergate? I had no idea for years it was a hotel. I thought it was something involving water and stuff. I mean, y'all know, when you're a kid, you don't care. So what are the, what's the score of the game? I don't know what's going on in politics. But, man, they were glued. But, you know, um, Chuck Colson was... Um, was uh, on Richard Nixon's council. They called him the hatchet man, and obviously some bad stuff happened. And in 1973, um, Colson uh, eventually resigned his White House position, and he claimed that he had become a follower of Jesus Christ. He was an evangelical Christian now, which a lot of the press was very skeptical and go, yeah, sure, you're getting ready to go down, and now all of a sudden you found Jesus. They were very skeptical of this. But he eventually was uh, convicted of um, obstruction of justice charges, and he actually went to a federal prison camp for, uh, I don't know, I think it was like six to eight months or a year, something like that. But in his, after his incarceration, Chuck felt led by God to honor a promise that he had made to his fellow inmates that he would not forget them and their families, that he wanted when he got out to do something about it. And he actually did start what is called Prison Fellowship and it's the world's largest family of prison ministries in the world. And they've done amazing things over the years. His life change was for real. It was authentic. He didn't just say that and just for a few weeks. He spent his time doing this for the rest of his life. 
So today we're going to continue our series called Conversion Factor, and we're going to read about uh, among a couple of people. One is a young girl who is enslaved um, and imprisoned as a slave by some men, but she's also possessed and enslaved in that way by a demon. And also we're going to look at the conversion of a jailer who is in charge and oversaw prisoners and how he has a conversion experience. Now this conversion and factors that we're going to talk about today and surrounding all that would lead to <clears throat> excuse me, another um, fellowship of believers, a church that would get started in this place we're going to read about today in Philippi where Paul and um, Silas are. Paul would later write a letter um, to this group after what happens here um, of these Jesus followers there that's a part of our Bible. And many of you love the book of Philippians. I do. There's a lot of great passages in there. But all of this came because of these conversion experiences that happened when Paul and Silas visit. Now, before we look at our specifically at our text today from Acts 16, I want us to think about what we've read about. If you've been here, um, some of you have, maybe some of y'all online have know we've been going through Acts. And Acts is talking about when Jesus left, he says, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to make disciples, baptizing them, and I want you to teach them everything that I've commanded. And so we see in the book of Acts that this is actually taking place. That commission is actually taking place. We've seen conversions in Jerusalem. We've seen them in Judea. We've seen them in Samaria. And we've seen them as going into the world. And now Paul and these missionary journeys is now entering into Asia and Asia Minor and into Europe. So we're seeing exactly what Jesus commissioned is taking place. And this is exciting news. And even the Jewish Christians there was some tension between the Gentiles, the non-Jewish, and the Jewish people at first. Like, this is only salvation for us. And God, through His uh, uh, power and through the Holy Spirit, said, no, it's for everybody. And we've seen in the last few weeks how the Gentiles are receiving the same Holy Spirit, the same grace from God through Jesus Christ. And they are having conversion experiences. And people are going, wow, this is for real. God has really given His grace to everybody. And so they see that it's spreading. So... The Jewish Christians have acknowledged this. Last week we looked at this Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15 and where the leadership recognized that there was some tension trying to bring in some Jewish customs and traditions into Christianity that really shouldn't have been there. And they said, no, we're not going to do this. The, the, the statement was they should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who were turning to God. And they made this, and they sent them a letter and said, we're sorry, we didn't mean to bother you with those things. Here's what you do need to do. And the Gentiles were very positively responded to this, and Paul and Silas and others were continuing these evangelistic trips among the Gentiles. So they get to Philippi, and they meet. They used to try to go, Paul would always try to go and find out where the Jewish synagogue was and go there first and try to establish some connections there, and then he would go out to the Gentiles. Well, in Philippi, he quickly meets a group of women who are meeting for prayer out by a river. We don't know if there wasn't a synagogue, or maybe these ladies couldn't because they weren't official Jewish uh, of the Jewish religion and couldn't get in the synagogue. But he goes and prays with these women and meets them. And he meets a businesswoman named Lydia, who's a seller of purple. And she hears about Jesus, and she is converted and becomes a follower. And then she has Paul come and share with her whole family, and they are all baptized. Again, all these things that Jesus is commissioning are actually happening. So Paul and Silas had to be thinking, this is amazing. God is doing amazing things. You know, we had some tension between the Jews and the Gentiles, but that's being cleared up, and things are going really well. But then they get to 
um, Philippi and this lady, and not only is she converted, but she says, hey, I've got a big house. I would love for y'all, if you consider me a fellow sister in Christ, let me uh, show you hospitality. You can lodge here while you're in Philippi sharing the word of Jesus. And so this all happens. So Paul and Silas have to be thinking, this is great. Man, things are going good. People are hearing the word of Jesus. They're converting. Their lives are being transformed. This is great. We're so happy we're here in Philippi. And then we're going to see what happens today. We Just in a few days, it seems like all kind of chaos starts. So let's read chapter 16 uh, of Acts 16. It's going to be on the screen on your, uh, in your Bibles, your personal devices, whatever. But let's follow along. And again, it's the writer here is Luke. And he says in verse 16, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then he immediately he fell, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So, I think it's fascinating as we, again, all this great stuff was happening and then just in a matter of days, all of a sudden there's a riot. Paul and Silas are thrown into jail. But what I find fascinating about this is is God's sovereignty in this situation. Is that God is, is working even when we don't recognize it. Because in my Um, shallowness of my being a human, I think only good things, God can only work through good things. And if something bad's happening, why are you letting this happen, God? But no, God is always working in His summary. So you have, interesting, I find that there's this young girl who is demon-possessed, and she's set free, but the very people who set her free are now thrown into jail. So you got one out, but now you got two in. What are you doing, God? This doesn't seem to be the best way to do things but one of the things that I want us to grasp as we go through acts and these various 
um, conversions that we read about is how God is working on all those who are involved. Everybody. And Luke is only limited to given. He's an eyewitness to what's happening. Because you notice he says we in the passage. Luke is with Paul. He is with Silas. He's watching all this happen. And he's trying to take down notes so that he can have a history of what's happened during these missionary journeys. And he's doing that. But so many people are affected by what's going on. And closely connected. Others were compelled to think about what they've seen and heard. But we only get a glimpse of what Luke tells us. But others are seeing these things and hearing these things. And they're going, who is this Jesus? Who are these people that are talking about Jesus? And what is this riot that got started? What is this earthquake? What does all this do? And it makes them think about their own lives and what God's doing. So we see in this text how a young girl could predict the future um, through an evil spirit, and she learned she made a great deal of money, which obviously she wasn't getting much of, that her handlers were. And you noticed how she followed Paul and Silas and the group around, and she is telling people this is who these people really are. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She was right. Now this goes right along with when we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and we read about when Jesus had... Um, uh, uh, interaction with demons, the demons knew who Jesus was. They would even say, this is the son of the most high God. They knew who Jesus was. And in the same, it follows along in this, is that the, this girl who's possessed, the demon knows who these people are and saying, you need to listen to them. They've got the message of salvation. It's very interesting. It goes right along with that. And similar responses from the demons. So Paul was so troubled by this girl who keeps yelling and shouting this that finally he turns around and commands her in the name of, in the name of Jesus for the spirit to come out. And it did. Now, there must have been some sort of obvious difference in her that everyone recognized. Obviously, her owners knew, wait a minute, something's different here. She can't predict the future anymore. What are we going to do? They didn't care about her, did they? She was a money maker for them. And now all of a sudden they don't have that. So notice what they do. They twist the situation and they don't go to the magistrates and say, hey, this guy just ruined our source of income because that would sound kind of bad. Oh, you mean you've been using this girl for years to make money? Well, yeah, but they don't say that, do they? They twist the situation from these men are Jews and immediately they're implying something negative about Jews. And they're in our city and they're causing problems. They're throwing our city into an uproar. They are advocating customs that are unlawful for Romans to accept and practice. Now, do you see what's going on here? It's not really the narrative. Who started this? Well, they did. They came and drug them out and started a, a riot in the middle of the city. This isn't Paul and, and Silas that have done this, but they're doing this. They've changed this um, narrative. And you see that in 2,000 years, we haven't changed much as humans, have we? What happens when we hear something that we don't like and we try to not just talk about necessarily the situation at hand, but now we create a, a narrative to, to make this group of people and separate people. Now it's all of a sudden, it's in Philippi, and we're all humans. Well, now these Jews are messing up what's going on for the Romans, and so they're trying to separate and divide people through this false narrative. And Paul and Silas are roughly seized because of that, and they're taken to the city square before the magistrates, and they're accused of these nonsensical charges. And the magistrates are in a tough position because there's a riot going on. If Rome hears there's a riot going on in one of their provinces, they're going to send soldiers to restore order, and it's never pretty. People get killed. Things happen. So they immediately just take these guys. They must have been who started it. Let's beat them, show the crowd that we've taken care of them, put them in jail, and we'll quiet 
the crowd. And so that's what happens. But what they don't know is, is that Paul and Silas are Roman citizens. You're not supposed to do that. They don't tell them this yet, but later this will come into play. And Paul eventually is trying to get to Rome, and we know that God is working behind the scenes to ultimately get Paul to Rome, which will happen, and we'll talk about that in the next few weeks. Now, my reaction would be, God, what are you doing? It was going great. You had them come into Philippi. They meet these ladies. Um, this uh, Lydia, you know, she is a convert. They invite her into her house. They've got a base where they can stay and be shown great hospitality. Why do you have them be thrown in jail? This is not good for your gospel. And God's going, you just don't understand, do you, Craig? Have you not read my word? Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, we see that God is always working in good times and in bad times. And when we look closely we see that God is using a riot. He is using a group of folks who were doing some shady things to bring about opportunities for other people to hear the good news of Jesus, including those who are in prison. God wanted them to hear the message. So think about the people who may or who may not have ever heard about Jesus if this hadn't happened that day. The slave owners, the slave girl, the magistrates, the other prisoners in jail, the jailer in his family, anyone connected to any of these folks, if this hadn't happened, they may have never heard the message of Christ. But once in jail, the other prisoners heard who Paul and Silas were and why they were in Philippi. They've heard there's some guys out there preaching about this guy named Jesus, and now they're all of a sudden in jail with us. And I'm sure Paul and Silas said, we really didn't do anything, but we, you know, I called out this girl, and now, and they're telling the story, and the prisoners are hearing this, but they also heard in the middle of the night, Paul and Silas, who have been beaten, and then they got put in the stocks, their feet are put in the stocks, very uncomfortable position, and they're not complaining about, I can't believe we came here to do missionary work and God allowed us to be here. They're not complaining, they are literally singing hymns and praying to God, and all the prisoners are going, what's with these guys? Why are they praising God? Why are they singing hymns and praying when they're in jail? They're in the stocks and they can see they're bloody. They've been beaten severely with rods and they're praising God. So this has to have an impact on these other prisoners that are there. And so they all of a sudden they go from that to experiencing this earthquake and the prison doors are open, the chains fall off the prisoners and they see how Paul and Silas' priority is not to escape and leave but we want to make sure that that jailer does not kill himself. He's about to commit suicide. So we're not going to leave. We're going to make sure that he understands he's valuable and we're all here and to not kill himself. And again, this has to have an impact on these prisoners. Who are these guys? How is it that none of this is getting to to them? They still believe. I, I mentioned the first service. Y'all remember the um, comic strip um, Farside? Y'all remember that? Okay, I used to love that. So there's one where there's this guy, and he's obviously, I don't know what it was with Gary Larson, the, the, the writer of this in hell. He had a lot of funny things about hell. But this guy's in hell, and he's just beating rocks, and he's whistling, and he's having a great time. And there's the devil standing to the side with a demon. He goes, we're just not getting through to this guy. you know. And I'm thinking the prisoners have to go, well, how is all these bad things that are happening to Paul and Silas not getting through to them? Because they have a joy that's of a different world, of a different kingdom, don't they? And so they understand that. So Paul shouts in the dark, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Everybody sees what's going on. Now he must have felt that something was going on supernatural here. He thought it was going to be another day at the prison. 
We've got some rioters. They're going to bring them in. I've got to put them in the stocks. I've got to watch them, make sure nobody escaped. That was his job day in and day out. But now all of a sudden, something's different. These guys are singing hymns and praying. We're not getting through to them. What is it with them? Then all of a sudden there's an earthquake. And now all of a sudden chains have fallen off and and prison doors have opened. But they don't leave. And they say, don't harm yourself. We're all here. So he must have felt that something supernatural was going on. Why would these prisoners still be here? And he responds very similarly to the crowd on the day of Pentecost. If you remember in Acts 2, after experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, the people that were there that day listen after they see this oncoming of the Holy Spirit. They go, well, they're drunk. And then Peter goes, no, actually, this is God's power who he talked about from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and it's coming in. And people saw this, and all of a sudden he preaches this sermon. And at the end of his sermon, you remember, it says the people were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And Peter told them. And now, very similarly, Paul has, uh, all this is going on, and people say, not people, but this specific jailer comes in and says, what should I do to be saved? Paul and Silas, y'all have to be from God. This something is going on here that's not normal. It's supernatural. Something is going on. I want to do, I want to know what I need to do to have that salvation. He was truly seeking the source of not only this miracle, but obviously the source of salvation too. Paul answers similarly to how Peter responded on the day of Pentecost. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. He's trying to be inclusive of everybody. And we can see that Paul and Silas somehow end up at this man's house. I don't understand. Luke doesn't tell us the details, but they somehow end up at his house and they're sharing with the whole family and his household about who Jesus is, why we came to Philippi, how we ended up in jail. And the jailer now shows compassion by washing their wounds. Now in prison, there was no compassion. You remember, he's the jailer. He wasn't concerned about their wounds. They were locked up in the stocks with bloody backs after getting beat to a pulp, and nobody seemed to care. But now all of a sudden, the prisoners' wounds were being attended to. Not in prison. And many times they became infected and added to the misery of prison. But now the jailer is a new man. He sees Paul and Silas as people who just saved his life and care about him as a human being. And it says that he and his whole family were baptized. And again... Um, you know, we don't know from Luke how, I'm like, where did y'all go in the middle of the night to get baptized, you know? But you got to think about all of a sudden, they let's go, the whole family, and they're going out in Philippi somewhere to the river. I don't know where they go, but they were baptized that very night. And again, this is the great commission being fulfilled, isn't it? Jesus said, go, and they went. Jesus said, tell them who Jesus is and make disciples, and they're making disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and this is happening exactly like he said. So this had to be a joyful, long night for this, this folks. But interesting, they're taking care of the wounds of Paul and Silas, but Paul and Silas are saying, there's some wounds you have that are not physical. There's wounds of sin and guilt and shame that have not been attended to, and now you're hearing... Um, from who Jesus is. And your Roman gods and your Greek gods, they don't care about the guilt and the sin, uh, the sin and the shame, but Jesus does, and now these are being addressed. And through the sacrament of baptism, the jailer and his family were washed, they were cleansed, they were buried, they were able to bury their past life and be resurrected to a new life now in Christ. And again, we clearly see that Jesus, what he asked them to do in the Great Commission, is being done. And people are seeing that no spiritual 
No religious, no political or military power is able to stop the message of Christ. It's going on from Acts 1 all the way to the end. It doesn't matter what happens in between all these conversion experiences, y'all. The Holy Spirit is working to get the message of Christ out. Peter was thrown into jail. Did it stop the message of Christ? No. Paul is thrown in jail. Did it stop the message of Christ? Everywhere, Paul started a riot everywhere he went. I mean, he really did. It caused an uproar. And so I, sometimes I'm convicted as I'm like, well, we're just going to be safe in noon and we don't want to start any riots. But I'm wondering sometimes if maybe we do. You know, I'm getting out of here now. If you're new, you're like, this guy's crazy. But I just wonder, everywhere he went, when he preached the word of God, it caused such deep riots. You can't teach that. Teach what? The grace of God? And so it's, it's interesting. So as we look at that, but it was basically we see in the book of Acts that none of this spiritual or political powers or military power is able to stop the Holy Spirit from proclaiming the good news of Jesus that God has commissioned. So when we look at this, we might go, that's an amazing story, Craig. That's great. God is, is, is working, and he worked in that first century church, but does God really work like that supernaturally today? Thank you very much, okay? And I didn't tell y'all ahead of time, I'm buying your lunch for that. <laughs> because we know he does, right? Y'all know firsthand that God does things like that, but sometimes I think we think that, well, that was just something that happened in the first century, God doesn't do powerful things, but let me, let me just kind of back, walk back with that just a little bit. Notice in this thing, in prayer meetings, God was working in chapter 16. In encounters with evil spirits, God was working in Philippi. In a riot, God was working in Philippi. In a prison, God was working in Philippi. In an earthquake, God was working in Philippi. In an attempted suicide, God was working in Philippi. Now, do we really believe that? And I know some of us do, but some of us go, I don't know. But what are the factors that, those of you who are Jesus followers, what are the factors that led to your conversion? All of you have a story that you said, if I hadn't have been in this place at this time, and this person, I never would have heard the message of Christ. If this person hadn't invited me to this camp, or to this thing at their church, or invited me to FCA, or I don't know what it is, but all of y'all have stories that led to your conversion experience. Am I right? And they may seem boring like mine, like, well, I just grew up in church, and you know, you, you didn't want to go to hell, and you heard it every Sunday, so you think, well, I guess I'm in, you know? But no, at some point, I go, I want salvation. I've heard about it. I don't want to die lost from God, my creator. I don't understand all of it, but if you tell me this Jesus died so that I could have that, that's what I want. But everything has a convert, all of us have a conversion story that's very important. And maybe it wasn't a riot or jail time or an earthquake, but God was moving in your life to get you to the point that you ask, what must I do to be saved, right? We wanted to know that. And no matter how exciting or low-key, it is still valuable and personal and real. And you took the same steps. I took the same steps as the jailer and his family did. I confessed in faith that I need a Savior. I don't know what's going to happen after death. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. And I want to know that there's a Creator who loves me and values me. And so by faith I confess, you confess, you believe Jesus was your Lord and Savior and you were baptized and hopefully you were filled with the joy. Now I remember being 10 years old and doing that 
And I remember after church going into the lobby and my hair's wet, you know, and everybody's coming, way to go, you know, and they're, you know, shaking your hand going, that's great. And I'm like, I don't even know who these people are and they're excited for me. That was my church family. But what happens to that initial joy that we have, y'all? Sometimes over the years, we kind of lose some of that, don't we? And we don't want to really lose that joy. But what I think about, and I don't know, Luke doesn't tell us, but I have to believe that this girl who had the demon cast out of her, you're no longer valuable because you can't make money for us. What in the world? But I have to believe that Paul and Silas and Lydia said, wait a minute, we care about you, whether you can make money or not. And she was a part of that Philippian church. I have to believe that. This jailer and his family became a part of this fellowship. They go, we know something amazing happened in our lives and transformed us, and we want to come together, and we want to share that with other people. And maybe there's somebody here today, maybe you're listening today, but you have never experienced that grace or joy, but you can experience in that. And going back to my original opener about jailhouse religion, do y'all realize that in our country there are over 2 million people incarcerated? In our country alone. Think about that, 2 million and maybe that makes you go, God, I'm glad they're in jail. <laughs> but is it working? Is the jail system working to really do anything? What we find out is that prisoners, when they get out, the repeat offender is at least 50%. They're going to, as soon as they get out, they end up back in. 50%. But here's a stat that was interesting. Inmates who are involved in faith-based activities while they're in prison... Within two years of release, only 8% of them reoffend. That's pretty amazing. And what that means is, is that the power of Christ is transforming lives. But when you don't have that, it's not. And a guy, a, a, a man and a lady who are members of our church came up to me after the first service. I preached this sermon. He goes, I got to tell you this story. And they told me about a guy who raised $14 million to put a chapel in one of the biggest federal prisons in this country and that it is 70 percent full every time they have a service there that is good news that means somebody has a passion for saying these people need to hear it's not more incarceration they need to have their hearts transformed and that is really good news when we hear that the power of the gospel of jesus christ can and does work to change lives. The Holy Spirit is working all over the world this moment in churches, not just through sermons, but sometimes it's through the music. Sometimes it's through somebody just talking in a hallway. But all over the world, the Holy Spirit is working today. And the Holy Spirit will continue to work when we leave this place. On the way to lunch, when you're in the restaurant, God can somehow use that situation to... Do something, and he will. On your way home today, at your job tomorrow, we got a bunch of folks that are going to camp, and I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit is going to work at camp this week. But we must believe, and we have to anticipate, that when we share the gospel message of Jesus, God is going to do something. But we've got to be willing to share it. I mean, I'm willing to tell you all this stuff about the Braves game, but am I willing to tell somebody about what Jesus is doing in my life and in the life of people? We need to share those stories because when we share those stories and bring his name up to people, you know what? God's going to do something with that. And it may not be in a way or a form we expect, but God's going to do something. God is wanting to convert us from following the empty and shallow promises of a dark world like the Philippian jailer was 
was in to embracing the true promises and the power of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And he wants to transform us into being who we were always created to be. So this morning we're going to offer an invitation. If you're here today and you've never made that commitment, I hope by hearing this story you can see that God is always working. He's always doing something. And if you need to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be baptized into him, we want to offer that invitation. Or maybe you're looking for a church home and we are not perfect, but we're committed to believing that God is always doing something. Even in the midst of difficult things that are happening in your personal life, in my personal life, and in our world today, God is still working and we need to be anticipating what he's doing in all those situations. So um, our praise team is going to lead us in a song and if you have a decision you want to make or if you would like to pray, I'll be glad to pray with you. You can just come up here and take some time to pray, but we offer that uh, opportunity for you. Uh, But for the rest of us, um, if if maybe... um, Uh, you're already a Christian and you just want to sit there and meditate, we're getting ready to go into a time of communion. And we do this every week here. Um, We offer communion, and uh, you don't have to be a member of our church, but if you are uh, a believer, we invite you to be a part of that. And if you miss getting one of those little packets, you can sneak out during the song and get you one. But we're going to prepare our hearts for that as well. But if you have a decision, uh, I'll try to walk you through it the best can. But let's stand and sing and prepare our hearts for communion right now.